Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today, I'm in a very special room. It's a hi-fi room. You usually see these rooms in Tokyo, Japan. Am I correct with that? Correct. And you guys have brought some flavor here to Seattle. I'm with a returning guest, Supreme LaRock, as well as two people that I haven't had on the show before. You guys are the founders of uh, Shibuya here in Ballard. And I'd like to start by just uh, getting to know, like, how do you guys all know each other? Well, I'll start. Uh, I've worked with these guys for years, uh, you know, probably two decades, just because they've been in the nightlife business as well as I have. And so, at you know, various venues, various events, different things, Mm. always working with these guys over the years. Nice. Are you you two both from Seattle? Uh, No, originally, uh, I was a a military brat, so originally from nowhere, (laughs) but born in Ohio. And then Quinn, how about you? Were you are you from Seattle? Uh, yeah, I'm from Brooklyn originally. Oh shoot! Yeah, yeah, so I was born and raised in Brooklyn. Dang! And then I've lived in Seattle since '95, early '95, late '94, early '95. So wow. I always battle with myself to retra- retain the the Brooklynite. Yeah. You know. And you you spent quite a bit of time in New York. So did you ever run into him in Brooklyn? Or no, I, I never knew him. <laughs> Although we we do have a mutual friend, Vandy. Yes, Greg, Greg Vandy, Vandy right. lived in Alphabet City, and I used to stay with him when I go to New York. Mm-hmm. And Brian, I, what is your background in in DJing? I know I I, I went extens- extensively into um, Supreme's background on his on his episode, but how'd you get into it? Yeah, um, I used to do some radio stuff in high school, uh, and then uh, post high school and in college, I DJed and started collecting records. You know ever since I was a kid with my dad, hmm. um, but not actively buying them until early 90s. And so, and then when I moved to Seattle, I came at about the same time Quentin did in 94, 95. Um, I uh, started DJing drum and bass. Uh, I was with the 360 BPM Collective. And so I did that for about five or six years. Okay. And like, where, what club did you start at or how did that? Um, I started at uh, the Power Plant and Vinylized. Uh, okay. uh, both were all ages clubs uh, down in Pioneer Square under the Viaduct. Um and then, um, and, and you know, just started working my way into different uh, different things. And then, I mean, uh, Quentin was the general manager over at the Showbox, and I used to DJ the Electro Lush Saturday nights there. In the when Showbox actually had two rooms in the in the front bar area, the Soto one or the the, the market, uh, yeah. The, well, uh, back then there was just one, so okay. it was just Showbox Market. That's how long ago it was. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it was it, just called the Showbox actually. Yeah. Which is the one they keep trying to tear down? Is the that... Showbox Market. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, and it's beautiful. I mean, it's got an original sprung dance floor in there yeah. from from the 20s, and, you know, that was a real – those days at the Showbox were some pretty incredible uh, things were happening in town, and then, you know, Seattle was really on the touring circuit, so every band came through there. It was a cool time Dang. to work there. And just imagine uh, the Showbox back then, that was actually uh, a nightclub uh, on the weekends. Yeah. 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 Okay. What makes something a nightclub versus like a concert venue? Uh, people dancing in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the late start has something to do with it too. It's yeah. like it's crickets until midnight, and then all of a sudden it's pandemonium. Yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, the the nights that that B's talking about, uh, Electrolush nights, were sort of legendary. I mean, even in their own time, it was just like it would be crazy. I'd roll into work at midnight or twelve thirty. Wow. And like make rent in an hour and a half it was just insane and the music was great like those guys at tasty shows obviously are you know super well known and Mm -hmm. did a bunch of really impactful things here and and in other places yeah um so yeah but we we were in the same room 
I'm sure dozens of times that we, we didn't really meet each other until 2003 Dang. at Viceroy when I was a GM in Viceroy at downtown, which is now Rob Roy. And then I opened Havana in 2006. And what's Havana? Uh, Havana is a, is a, a spot over on Capitol Hill and it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's a cocktail. It started out as kind of a cocktail lounge with DJs, mm-hmm. um, very much sort of a hybrid model that would, where, you know, a party would sort of erupt at a certain point during the night. And then the party kind of erupted and it just kept erupting for like 17 years, which is where <laughs> we're at now. And, and Brian's been a, a partner and investor there for, you know, since the beginning. And I always like to joke around that, um, aside from my mom, he's my favorite investor there, my favorite <laughs> partner. Cause he has such, a, he's been so, you know, influential in how that place is, yeah. has succeeded over the years and, and then, Supreme plays there too. And hey, there we go. that's a big part of it as well. And how did you end up in Seattle again? Um, I can I came out here for like a year. Okay. You know, I mean, I, I always lived on the East Coast, and so I always thought it'd be cool to live on the West Coast. Mm. And Seattle wasn't really even on my, like, map much. It was just that I had I had uh, some friends living out here, and I was like, oh, I got there for a year. And then, you know, I kept getting sort of better jobs. I started running bars for people. Um, and, you know, here I, I, you know, I bought a house. It's like I have a son. I'm married. And I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm here. Yeah. I am here for sure. See, and you guys are all... You guys are like all in entrepreneurs then. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And is that like something that you guys have all like wanted to do since you were kids or did you guys like feel like you worked normal jobs until you were able to become entrepreneurs or what was that entrepreneurial journey for each of you? I think it comes from uh, not having a lot as a kid hmm. and then uh, seeing things that you want to have and then realizing that sometimes you just got to create that. Um, so at least for myself, um, you know, I had, I had, uh, when I moved to S- Seattle, I got my first dot com job in, in April of 96. Um, and then I sort of left the, uh, the internet world in, uh, February of 2001 and just started building like what I, what we call brick and mortar businesses. So I had Sal's barbershop, uh, when it was on Olive, I had Boulevard Art Gallery, we started a screen printing business, do or die screen printing, uh, helped support uh, the under the needle records uh, through a couple of their releases. And so we were just starting to build like brick and mortar businesses. And then the war room came out of that, uh, invested down at um, the Viceroy where, where I met Quentin and then uh, invested in Molly Moon's ice cream. And so like those were all things that we were like trying to create some cultural fabric for the city um, and you know, kind of following suit from Tasty Shows, all the stuff that I saw that they were doing that I considered cool. Um, I wanted to be a part of that too. And have you inv- have you invested invested in things before? Or are you newer to investing in? I mean, businesses? I'm on record label Conception true. Records. Yeah, but, uh, true. Pretty much the same thing. He kind of hit the nail on the head. Coming up, you know, and you, and you don't have much. Mm. You figure out in life. Like one thing I remember when I was probably close to like ten a neighbor had a pinball machine and I wanted it so bad. I wanted one so bad. And I begged my parents and they're like, never. And I thought, I thought things like that were like untouchable. Like I would never have that in my yeah. life. And I remember like asking my mom, could we go to eat at Benihana's? And she'd say, no way. That's expensive. Yeah. That's way too much. And so, you know, growing up, I remember just, uh, working towards my dreams and goals. I wanted to DJ. I wanted to be in the music business, make records. And, uh, you know, hip hop came along and I fell in love with that. And 95, um, I told you on the last podcast Mm -hmm. when I quit my job, yeah, 
I was a delivery driver. I used to uh, deliver computers and computer parts. <laughs> and wow. uh, I quit to start a record label and do mu- DJ and do music. Damn. And I never looked back. I mean, that in itself is a, an amazing story. 95, yeah. like that's... And I have a really cool mm. pinball machine right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was hoping that was the end of that story. That's amazing. <laughs> Wait, so how old were you when you started investing into businesses then? I feel like... Um, shoot, I'm 52 now, so, the, you know, 20 plus years, 25 years ago. And is that just like, I guess you just have to save up or how does that, cause like for me, I'm able to have my own studio now, but it's because I joined like a program like Seattle mm. Restored. So they're like, they're putting in businesses and like up and coming businesses into storefronts. And then the, the hope is that you make enough money by the time that that program ends, you can stay in that space. Which is going pretty well for me, by the way, already. Congrats. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. But, like, I, if I, uh, I don't know, I, I do a lot of cool, like, I, I DJ and I was a podcast producer and I'm a podcast studio owner and I do my best to save, but I can't even. Well, sometimes that investment that. is also just your your mind share. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I mentor probably 10 plus different groups right now or folks that, that are, you know, whether they have clothing labels or they're content creators. And so a lot of that stuff to me is like, if you aren't investing downstream, then you're not going to be building the support system mm. upstream for, for future projects. And so some of those businesses weren't fruitful. Uh, we, I don't think we ever made money in the art gallery. I don't think we ever made money in the barbershop. We sold a barbershop to the barbers that still operate South Barbershop on uh, on Pike street now. Um, but those businesses were very instrumental in building the network that I have access to today. And so right. I met Jake one and vitamin D and a lot of those guys at that barbershop and, and, and being one in, and nurtured those relationships through that business, even though the business itself wasn't a fruitful business. Okay. Yeah. I, mean, I think that <clears throat> Brian just touched on this. Yeah. You know, there, there, uh, the glory and the successes are always what people see. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I can say, um, you know, I've seen Brian like hustle and, and, you know, try to sand down the, the, the front of a business with like a single sanding block. You know, he's a really hard working guy who's willing to get his hands dirty. You mm-hmm. know, um, I've seen, um, you know, business partners like that, uh, that will, just do the things that people don't want to do mm-hmm. and fail, right? But the thing is, I feel like as an entrepreneur, you it's like you're not really even following the financial success all the time. You're just following what you want to be, what you want to see in the world around you. Got it. And, and um, I mean, with the pod, you know, be it, be it a podcast, an art gallery, you know, a record label, um, I mean, I'm a musician, so it's like, you know, I've, I've spent thousands and thousands of dollars, <laughs> right. you know, on, on just putting music out into the world Yeah. and someone may hear it and they may not, most likely they won't, but that's okay. You know, it leads, it, it creates other opportunities in other ways. Like Brian was talking, it creates fabric. Got it. Okay. That makes, but you should have like an end goal or should, or your end goal is the thing that's. Would, way down the road. Well, I would say like or, the the end goal is life. The end goal wow. is like is a really interesting life with places and people 
places where you want to go and people you want to be around. And I would say that like this, this place, this room, you know, being able to be involved in a project with, with Supreme and Brian, mm -hmm. for me as someone who loves music, um, for, you know, since I was, since I could, you know, since I was two or mm -hmm. three, you know, my, my earliest memories are listening to music. Yeah. And so, you know, to, to be involved with these guys who are, you know, so thoughtful and so talented and be the focus of it, be music and vinyl records and bringing yeah. music to people in a different way. I mean, that is success. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So Supreme, do you think you guys all have like the same amount of musical knowledge or do no. you guys compete in that or how does that? No, <laughs> no I'm, I'm real, I'm real crazy with it. <laughs> But I, but the thing is, kind of like what Quentin said, my earliest memory is also music. Yeah, I got a portable record player on Christmas when I was three, three or four years old, and like I tell my mom, she ruined me <laughs> <laughs> because I just would—I don't know what it was—I just loved listening to records, and even like so, it came with like all these children's records: Smokey the Bear, Peter Pan, all this and. She said I just tossed them in the trash and got her James Brown and all her <laughs> funk and stuff. And that's all I would listen to. And then I remember like getting my first allowance and I asked my parents to take me to the record store. I just I've I don't know why. I've always been into and bought records. Mm -hmm. But kinda like in the eighties when like Public Enemy came out, Eric yeah. B and Rakim, stuff like that, and I was recognizing samples and songs. Mm -hmm. And then that opened me up like crazy to more music. Like I, I like say if they they sampled like a group called Funk Incorporated, mm -hmm. so I go look for that record. And while I'm looking for that one particular record, I find five other albums they did I didn't know about. So I just buy them all because I thought, wow. well, if that one's good, they have to have another another good one. Let's mm -hmm. let me find out. And so early on, I was just buying a lot of records and a lot of different stuff. Dang. And Brian, do you, do you probably buy a lot of records too then, yeah? Nowhere near the volume <laughs> or uh, my curiosity is uh, more around um, certain sounds, you know. So, like, I, I've always been really attached to, like, electro and freestyle okay. and, like, just certain subgenres of, of hip-hop and, you know, some golden era stuff. But um, I, I think Supreme, like, you know, his – his love and depth and knowledge base for music is, I mean, there's very, very few people that I have interactions with where I could uh, be that challenged. And I think, you know, it, it's part of why, you know, like him being part of um, the Shibuya business is, is kind of paramount. And like, I feel like I've met more people in the last three weeks of wow. my life right now currently than I have in five years that I would like to have more time with. Um, and, and it's because it's, I think the, the, the fabric that you mentioned, uh, um, Quentin earlier is just, it's music, you know, yeah. and like that connective tissue is like, I, I didn't realize how dynamic it was until, you know, like I'm discovering new artists and new music genres on a weekly basis. And I can't say I've done that in the last 10 years. Cause I've been, wow. I've been, the, the algorithm has owned me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this is like kind of a, a break from that. That's awesome. Cause I feel like certain people, when they reach a certain age, they've, they get stuck in their ways mm. on what type of music they like. So do you, is, do you think that's just like a mindset or how, cause I also, I, that's a weird, it's silly, but like, I definitely feel like a fear of mine is 
getting to an age where I stop wanting to <laughs> learn new new music, you know. But like, I guess as a music lover, that's a, that might not be a silly fear, but that's something that I think about all the time. Well, I think if you take Supreme's approach, and if you do like an artist, and then you go a little deeper on the artist, you'll be really surprised. Like, break out of the algorithm. Don't do this exercise in in in, in a streaming app. Um, but just break out and look at liner notes mm. and, you know, flip a CD or, or, or a record up, you know, on the backside and look who was playing the instruments that you kind of heard in that album and then go deeper that way. Then you're in his world. Right. Mm. And then I think that that lens, uh, of us not being, you know, uh, old heads, you know, we, we get that, we get called that all the time, you know, Oh, you guys don't like the new music cause you guys are just a bunch of old heads. And I think that like, I would just challenge a lot of people that feel like, hey, you know, I already know the type of music I like to just go outside of those boundaries a little bit. Also, I wanted to say that a a song could be 30, 40 years old. If you've never heard it, it's new. Yeah. Mm. It's new music to you. Yeah. I could definitely do that way more with music than movies. I feel like for me, I have to stop at the late 80s for (laughs) movies for whatever reason. But like, yeah, music, I could listen to it. But it's like Brian said, reading liner notes, which you yeah. don't get digitally anymore. Yeah. You can see who played on it, what year they recorded it, where they recorded it, who engineered it. Mm. What You know, if, if it sounds good to you, like what else did this guy engineer? And you just mm. go and there's, it's endless. Yeah, that makes sense. And then Quentin, what type of music do you make? Um, do I make or do I listen to? Or you said you're a musician. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I sorry, I didn't hear that. Um, which is why I'm a musician, which is why I didn't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I would say it's 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 definitely got a garage rock bend to it, but it's very outward looking. So um, I mean it, it it's pushing. I mean that's the base of it would be garage rock, but then it's really keyboard heavy, and I uh, the the guy that I've been playing with for a long time. Um, he's an amazing drummer and just kind of one of these, uh, one of these like, um, incredible, uh, people who can sit down, who can listen to like Chopin and go sit down at a piano and play it. And he's never had a piano lesson in his life. So like, you know, I love, I mean, I kind of feel like in that respect, you know, uh, I love being around people that bring, uh, something way more than I'm able to offer mm. to any project. I mean, that's why one reason that I love, you know, I mean, I love being with these guys on this project. It's like, you know, I mean, to be with someone like Supreme, who's got such a, you know, a massive, um, you know, not only deep, but very wide, yeah. you know, knowledge of of music and, and collecting music and, and, and the history of music and all that stuff is like, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a lifetime thing, mm-hmm. you know, it's great. And to be with someone like Brian, who's like, you know, this optimizer and just makes everyone around him better, um, including, you know, me, in my opinion, um, is, is also, you know, a great thing. So, yeah. For sure. So I've kind of under, like, heard what ins- music inspires them. Like, what music inspires you? Um, I like, I like everything. So when, when Supreme was talking, I was thinking about, um, so out, outside of the box of what we listen to in this in the hi-fi room back here. So one thing we've, we haven't played yet for people is classical music. Mm. We've played rock music with strings. Um, and we've even played some like kind of experimental modern stuff that has a little bit of strings. But um, like I have a, I have a record here that's a, that's a, a, 
a collection of Beethoven symphonies that belonged to my parents, and it was it was recorded in 1970, which is the year oh. I was born. Yeah. And so I, I pinched it from them at one point in time. I don't really remember. And, I mean, to answer your question briefly, like, I love everything. I listen to every kind of music. Um, and I'm, I'm open to listening to everything. But so on this one, on this, uh, so this is, it, it, it's... Uh, the Beethoven symphonies recorded by the Berlin Philharmonic, which at the time was the greatest, you know, uh, orchestra in the world conducted by Herbert von Karajan, who's the greatest conductor at the time in Germany, which means they were using the best mics, mm. right? The, co- the most coveted like Neumann, you know, U87s, AKGs and all those things, you know, uh, thinking about all the hours that, that went into this piece of music and then thinking about how amazing the piece of music is and then realizing that the person who composed it couldn't actually hear when they composed it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like then you listen to the record on this system and it's like, whoo, all right. You know, this is, this is what it's all about. Um, So I, I love, I love to really, um, really try to be present when I listen and, um, I mean, I love, I love classical music. I love jazz. Um, I, I love lots of different kinds of rock and I love, um, I mean, you know, if a lot of those records, if you went, if you thumb through that stack right there, you'd be like, good Lord, what's wrong with this guy? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and Brian says that every night. <laughs> Amazing. So Supreme, what, what is Shibuya? How did this come to be? Uh, well, Traveling and, and me, you know, traveling and going to Japan, and I stumbled up on um, record bars. And uh, break down what a rec- record bar is for people who don't know. Well, I think I think Brian can do that probably a okay. little better than me. They're, they're just they're basically high high fi listening bars, but there's a long history behind them. Hmm. Uh, with military and his parents actually met in one. So that's why I like him to tell the story. Cool. We'll save that for you next. (laughs) But uh, yeah, uh, the one that I go to uh, mainly is called JBS. And I guess with his deal, he was just like a record collector. And his wife said, you got to get rid of these records. Like we're going to get a divorce or you got to get rid of these records. So, he moved them all into this little space and just opened a bar in there. Wow. So he could keep his collection, but made it into a business. I just think that's a funny story. That's but amazing. A, I mean, there's more history there, but that's my favorite one. You know? Wow. And it started, Hi-Fi Room start in Japan? Japan? Yes. Okay. Wow. That's awesome. So you've been traveling to Japan and you came across these bars and have you, had you guys... Have you been, Quentin, have you, have you been to a hi-fi bar before that or? I've actually never even been to Japan. Oh, wow. Um, uh, so <laughs> I've been, you know, I've been, uh, to other places in Asia, but I've, it's on my list of places to go. So, so yeah, I have not. And then break down what a, a hi-fi bar is, record bar is. Well, I mean, there's like probably, you know, a couple different flavors of it right now. And, you know, I, it's funny, like since we've had this project open, people keep on sending me, uh, uh, different videos of, of, uh, uh, listening rooms. And so you've mm-hmm. got sort of the listening room experience, uh, which this, this, our hi-fi room is a, a listening room. 
So the the expectation is for you to uh, be totally present and listen and not talking and listening to a, a, an album. Um, in most of those instances, those listening room experiences are the entire album. Uh, you have a vinyl bar concept, which uh, JBS uh, falls in that. And, and, you know, he also is the bartender. And so it's more intimate space. You are not really influencing what music is being played. You're a participant in, in his curation. And so mm-hmm. he will go and he's got a wall of records behind him that he pulls from. He will serve you a drink or ignore you for 10, 15 minutes and just be focused fully on the music. And that's part of the experience. And so that would be um, sort of the vinyl bar. And then you've got this concept of hi-fi. Uh, and then it, when you go into hi-fi, hi-fi has itself several different flavors. Uh, in our room here, we're vintage hi-fi. Mm-hmm. So this system is a early 70s system with clip, corner clip horns paired up with a Marantz 2325, 125-watt, two-channel um, um, um uh, unit and so in the front part of our bar we have hi-fi but that's you know a luxman l505 uxii you know 200 watt uh, two, uh you know 100 watts per channel uh integrated amp this is a receiver back here that's an integrated amp and we're running it through some uh classic remakes of the jbl the 70s jbl uh, l100 uh speaker and that's that experience out there is what I would consider new school hi-fi or like modern hi-fi and this is vintage and so there's like you know all these different interpretations of like this business model mm-hmm. and so we're, we're sort of playing and straddling both um, because we have space but uh, typically in Japan that that, that you know this is down a dimly lit uh, uh, alley in the Shibuya district and it could the, the, the bar could hold 10 people wow you know and that's the experience or, you know, here we could hold 200 and some odd people yeah. here. So. Dang. And, and I think also, you know, it, it's, um, I mean, it, it's, it, it's super subjective. Like, you know, Brian was talking about um, uh, vintage hi-fi in here and new, hi, new hi-fi out there. And there'll be, you know, a certain number of people who come back here and be like, oh, wow, this is the pinnacle of, of vintage hi-fi. And there'll be other people who will come back here. And, you know, people that are in a hi-fi really have, are very opinionated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'll find for every 12 things that someone compliments you on, you'll find 10 things that they'll criticize you mm-hmm. on. And so I think what that means is that, um, I mean, as entrepreneurs do, right. You just kind of, you have a vision and you stick to it and you do what you like and what you feel like people are going to respond to as well. Um, so, uh, I think back here, what we're trying to really do is, well, I think on, a, on the whole, we are trying to do our own thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're trying to, you know, we're, we're tipping our hat to the JBS, to JBS and, you know, the listening bars of, mm-hmm. of the world, be they in Japan, Korea, New York, LA, or wherever. Um, but we're also trying to do very, I mean, we have people take off their shoes when they come back into this room and that's crazy. You know, but it's like, but it it really is a thing that we'd like to do to, 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 to help people just to encourage a mental reset and to, it's an equalizer, right? Like we're all hanging out in here with our shoes off right now. Right. Um, and that is something that just puts you in a different mindset and it helps you listen to music in a different way. And, um, just being more present, being more present, Yeah, you know? So for people who still are a little confused, what is the word hi-fi 
mean? Uh, hi, like high fidelity, right? So um, it's just... Uh, and it could be an analog experience or digital experience. Yes. Here, we're vinyl only, and so you could call us a vinyl bar mm-hmm. uh, that has a listening room um, uh, and a listening experience. Like my uh, my mom and dad met in, in Seoul, Korea. My mom was a DJ in the late 60s Dang. in a vinyl cafe. And so this is, you know, predating... Uh, maybe I, I think maybe these things were happening in concert uh, in Japan and, and Korea because it was, it was very military influenced. So you had uh, U.S. Uh, uh, soldiers in in both regions um, amassing vinyl collections because that was a medium that you bought uh, acquired music on. And when you moved back to the states, you had a weight allocation that you had. Uh, you couldn't go over or otherwise it would cost you more. Actually, I don't even know if you could go over. Mm -hmm. And so when you're uh, thumbing through all of your personal uh, belongings, one of the pieces that got left behind just because it's so, they're so heavy, was vinyl records. Mm -hmm. And so where you left your records was usually at the cafe that you went to listening to records. And so my mom used to play 45s for, um, for GIs in a, in a vinyl cafe at request, and so also a different experience than what we do here. You don't request records here, but uh, GIs would request records and then tip the uh, the DJ. Um, and I wish people tipped the DJ more, but um, yeah. that's a whole different story. Um, <laughs> and let's be honest, who yeah. likes getting requested? I, I hate having, like, I think my music. mom also hated it uh, because my dad had terrible taste in music um, or what I consider terrible taste in music for, for what I would have been requesting. My mom like grew up on, uh, on uh, you know, Barry White and soul and funk mm-hmm. music as her primary. And my dad was requesting, um, you know, uh, Neil Diamond and um, Elvis records <laughs> all the time. Amazing. Good thing he had blue eyes and blonde hair. <laughs> so, so, in a vinyl bar, it's definitely more on like curating versus like you can't really mix here, can you? Or how would that work if you're like switching out? Uh, I, I mean, I laugh at uh, like I just retired DJing this last year, and so now my my DJing is literally needle dropping, and mm. I'm, yeah, I'm not mixing. But we do have a, a DJ booth uh, in in the front room. Um, we are thinking about uh, how we integrate bring your own vinyl uh, mm. into the bar. Uh, we have this room is actually available for rent if someone wanted uh, to take over the music curation and not uh, be uh, using our, our house collection here. Um, but it always have a, uh, a room host or, you know, someone who's actually needle dropping the records for him because nice. the, the, the gear is vintage. Nice. That's cool. So yeah. how, how have you guys been building out your team for this space? What has that been like? Well, I mean, uh, as far as the, the, the bar staff or as far as the... Yeah, just everyone, like, like well, employees and everything. Like, how do you, like, is it the process been... Because this is, like, this is a crazy venture, so I'm guessing it's a, that's kind of... pretty... There's a lot of moving parts to this to this one. I mean, okay. I've been doing bars and restaurants and nightclubs for a long time, and um, and this one is a little bit like a Swiss watch. I mean, it's just, like, there's a lot of things going on at the same time. Um you know, we've got, we're lucky to have a lot of people involved who really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. We have a solid GM who has been in the hotel uh, business for a while, and he's been, you know, it's a tough labor market um, to get really good bartenders and servers, and he's been doing a decent job doing that, I mm-hmm. think. I shouldn't say decent. I mean, he's been doing a good job doing that. Um, 
you know, we have, the three of us have a network of people too that we can pull from. And so that's really been helpful. I mean, there's a certain, um, like there's somebody who's been working the door at Havana for years. Who's great. And, uh, you know, it's, I just thought she would be great over here. And mm. so she's coming over here to help us out nice. a couple nights a week. Um, you know, DJs, I mean, and, and booking, uh, talents come through. I mean, that's, that's clearly Supreme's domain yeah, for sure. Um, and then I think, you know, uh, the, the programming and figuring out, you know, what we play back here, Brian and I have been doing that with Supreme's help. Mm -hmm. And I think moving forward as we're just going to create schedules of like, you know, we'll be playing, um, you know, maybe we'll be playing like some Swedish art rock on a Wednesday and some, uh, DJ crush on Thursday and, you know, fill in, sky's the limit on, on, on Friday. Right. Um, but I think that'll be all, all of us really, you know, throwing ideas into a hat and sitting down and having fun picking out records. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. yeah. So, so Supreme, oh, were you going to say something? I was going to say on the back end of the project too, it's like uh, we, we have uh, investor partners that have been sort of following our businesses over the years that have been really um, instrumental. It's, it's kind of interesting when you've got uh, an investor that could actually give you really good inputs. Mm -hmm. And so we've got some really good friends uh, that, that are trusted. And then, you know, we, uh, we have uh, DJ Hunter proof that we didn't even mention. He, he yeah. came oh, up yes. with all oh of our, our, all of our branding. Um, and Jeff has just been a, a great partner too, because it's one of these projects where if I was developing logo, con logo concepting and stuff for a, um, you know, a, a medicine brand or something like that, I don't know if I would necessarily, um, uh, you know, you know, I'd probably go to an ad agency, but for this, uh, project he is such a shoe fit and we didn't even have to do a lot of onboarding of like telling him what the vision was he was just already plugged in and telling us what our vision was yeah, which I mean, was kind of a i think it's safe thing. to say that if, if jeff lived in seattle instead of la yeah. which is where he lives i mean he'd be sitting around the table with us right now yeah that guy's awesome. made such a massive contribution yeah. yeah wow so how has it been booking talent like are you because this is your space, like, are you performing as well, or what is that like for you? Yeah, I'm here at, at the minimum once a month uh, doing a night by myself, but I've been playing with some of the DJs coming in, and we've been bringing, it's funny because it's a listening bar, but mm -hmm. we're still bringing world-class DJs in. Even wow. last week when I played, someone came up to me and said, man, you're DJing. I said, yeah, w why? And they said, I thought it was a listening bar. They're like, you're actually mixing and DJing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's weird because it's, it's a little different. You know, there's not a dance floor. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're still bring, bring, bringing the, the good talent in. And it, and it being vinyl eliminates a lot of people off the top. Mm -hmm. you know? So how do you find it? You just through your community? or well, like? You know, I, have a, I have a large network that yeah. I built over 30 years of being in that business. That's cool. That's awesome. That's like, do you think Seattle's like ready for something like this, or like, do you? Yeah, like I think it's way overdue. Honestly, I okay. think I think uh, a lot of people don't know that they needed it. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what you thought when the first time you came in. This was like amazing. I was, <laughs> yeah. I feel like everyone that comes in is like, it's amazing. Like, yeah, they just love it. Like, <laughs> it's different. You know, it's an experience. Yeah, and it's kind of you know, uh, like Quinn said, it's a little different mindset when you come into a room like this mm -hmm. like i'm so comfortable right now sitting here yeah <laughs> this is amazing see you can't you can't say anything else but amazing it's it's a great experience that's so i feel like working with like a lot of like up-and-coming talent in seattle though it's hard for like audiences to 
be into like finding artists to listen to or go to their shows or whatever. And I, I think it's hard to find like audio files in Seattle. So how is that hard to like find people that are actually like mm. interested in audio the way you guys are? To like come to the bar? I think that's probably our biggest, uh, not dis- not su- full surprise, but I am st- very surprised because that is like a niche community. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we've been finding out is like people that we know very, very well, we also didn't know that they were audiophiles. Wow. Like I've got friends, I had a friend, uh, you know, a, a really good f- a friend and business partner, uh, uh, Rachel, that... Uh, came in here with with her husband and 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 said, "Oh, Brian, we got four hi-fi systems at my house." Wow! And like I've known her for ten plus years, and so like it's like uh, I think COVID created a lot of um, uh, also re you know it revitalized a, a vinyl you know and a whole bunch of different aspects, and we were just forced to be at home with uh, uh, in our own personal spaces and had to sort of re envision what that what that experience would be just sitting at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like again, music was this this thing that just helped us feel safe again, uh, because we weren't able to go out and experience music. So you had to like bring it into, I mean, I had dance parties in my living room, (laughs) um, watching music festivals virtually, which I just would never do, uh, uh, in, in a normal time. And so, um, yeah, it's been really interesting. Those, the, the hi-fi or anyone that's into, uh, uh, you know, audio files, they're finding us. And I think back to what Supreme said, it's overdue. They've Mm -hmm. been wanting this, uh, as part of uh, community, mm-hmm. like that's the piece that's missing. It's like you could be an audiophile in your own space for your whole life, but like being surrounded by other people that like that same genre or artist or experience is what we're finding, and and it's it feels so good when you actually come across those people. And it's it's, it's been fun too. Like there have been a couple. There's been lots of different you know moments back here, right? But there is one in particular. Uh, it was maybe the first or second day that we were open and there was a guy sitting back here sitting in that uh, seat on that, on the sofa. Yeah. Um, and he was just checking stuff out and he was like, you know, uh, listening to music and he asked a couple of questions. And then um, I was down at Hawthorne stereo and those guys have been really helpful. Just, you know, first of all, they, I mean, they love all sorts of different kinds of speakers mm-hmm. and amplifiers and hi-fi equipment and they've really been helpful in getting us set up and troubleshooting stuff when it comes up. But so I was just down there picking something up and I'm, I hear this guy asking a bunch of questions. Like I'm trying to get set up in my, you know, and I turn, I'm like, I'm like, I know that voice. I turn around. I'm like, it's the guy. Wow. So he's like now going to like get his self, his stuff dialed in. And I think that like when something as personal as music, which is also a very universal thing. Mm-hmm. When, when, when people get, uh, when people feel comfortable knowing that they're, uh, that they're, that their their people will be in a certain place experience or seeking out something that they, they all want to experience. I mean, it's a very powerful thing. And then you layer music on top of that and it just becomes, you know, um, a safe space. It's the safe space, yeah. Yeah, it's like what you first said about brick and mortar. Like mm-hmm. you've found, you've made a brick and mortar for this community. So, yeah, that's awesome. So, Quentin, break down this room, like, like from like the furniture and the aesthetic. How did this all? Yeah, come sure. So, um, I mean, I love this room, and I never want to leave this room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we ha- we were really lucky. Um, 
to work with uh, lots of really generous uh, and talented people putting the room together. Um, so uh, I guess we start with the painting. It's by Christy Hopkins, who's a, um, a local, local artist, and uh, we commissioned this painting from her. Uh, it's 135 inches by 74. <laughs> so we gave her the dimensions, the palette, the color palette of the rug, and we said, you know, we've been listening to Miles Davis' Kind of Blue as sort of a reference record. Mm -hmm. uh, do whatever you want. So and uh, Christy's an amazing artist. She's represented by, um, by Seattle Art Source, okay. which is a great uh, showroom down in Georgetown if anybody's looking for, you know, uh, for a great piece for their, their home. Uh, Sarah, who runs it, is wonderful. And then uh, the rug is a hand-knotted rug from Afghanistan. Wow. And so it, this came out of our, our friends of ours, uh, my friend Sarah, who works at uh, Driscoll Robbins Fine Carpets. Um, she helped us source this from Kabul, outside of Kabul. Wow. And uh, this probably took, you know, four people at least a couple of years of their lives to, to not. And it's, it's, it is one reason that we, that we kick off shoes in here as well. Yeah. Um, to preserve... And, you know, the, 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 the piece of art that it is, but also to feel it under your feet. Yeah. You know, right? Like you can really, it's like a real privilege to, 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 do, to have that experience, I think. Um, and then our friend Darren uh, has a shop called Finn Urban Design, and that's down in Soto, so mm -hmm. right down the road. And he made these lounge chairs and all the bar stools at the front of the, wow. uh, uh, at the, front of the business, at the bar and in the showroom. And he made these, there's some poofs, I think they're all, oh, they're right here, these guys. Mm -hmm. uh, so he made those, and those are all his design, and, and um, he's got a great team. And then there's a bunch of furniture from L.A., and uh, that's, that's cool as well. And then the, the chandeliers uh, came out of Benaroya Hall, actually. That's crazy. So they came out of the Founders Room, and they're by Louis Poulsen, um, which is a very famous lighting company. Uh, there are 10 of these in the world, as far as I can tell. Dang. And we have all 10. <laughs> Because they were they were remodeling and we're like we'll take them you know? wow um, and the only two that are hanging on the planet anywhere are in this room wow that's wild and then how did the the walling come to be is that like so that so so the cedar planks on the wall were actually here when we walked in this this space was was relatively unused um, when this was you know the previous business was here and as soon as we walked in here we knew we're like this is a high fi room. I mean, this has just got to be a hi-fi room. It's back down. You got to go down this hallway. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, you know, off to the side. It'll be a nice surprise and yeah. delightful when you walk in. And, I mean, the thing is, is that uh, recording studios will go to great lengths and spend a lot of money to get this much, uh, you know, sound absorption and uh, dissolution on, on a wall, mm -hmm. right? And so we walked into it. And it does a yeah. great job of treating the room. There's not much treatment, just a bass trap in the corner over there. Um, and we thought it was a good... Someone called it a sound sauna back here. So, Supreme, what's it like finding, like, an audience when it comes to, like, age range? Do you Have you guys seen younger people be interested in vinyl? Or do you think there's, like, a certain yeah, age? Yeah, I was just talking to these guys uh, yesterday. We had a meeting, and I was... Tell them how there's lit, there's literally like all ages in here. Of course, you have to be 21 to come in, mm -hmm. but they're coming in. There's wow. like literally, and even even out, you know, when I'm in record stores, I see a lot of teenagers and a lot of young kids buying records. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So for like newer 
albums that come out, like maybe like a rap album that is like is bassy, can these speakers handle like a crazy bass album? How does that work and how has like bass evolved in speakers over time? Oh, we're, we're about to go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's part two of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, 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 Quentin and I were talking about, you know, sort of uh, differences between analog and digital. And, uh, and I think there's, you know, it depends on who mastered the the record mm-hmm. um, uh, when it gets to sort of the final uh, uh, thing before it gets into a format. And um, if you've got someone that understand or is actually intentionally mastering your record uh, to be um, in vinyl format, that's a different, um, that's a whole different technique than just mastering it for, for digital consumption. Mm-hmm. And so like, if you've got a, a, a record that just came out, I mean, we've been playing um, Frank Ocean back here. We've been playing The Weeknd. We've been playing uh, DJ Crush. Uh, The DJ Crush, because he's such a, a, you know, a a master technician himself, Mm. uh, it sounds so good because the the, the bass response in his production is so good because he's just sort of a master at at what he does. And so, like, I would say, like, you could have a – a new artist that releases on vinyl. And as long as that person uh, was thoughtful enough to have a, a, a person to master it, that knows how to master the vinyl, mm-hmm. it's going to sound amazing back here. Nice. Yeah. Great I mean, re- Records with a lot of space in them sound really amazing. I mean, things that like good headphone records mm-hmm. sound great on these there speakers. It is. Nice. Yeah. I wonder if it's hard to like listen to music at home now when, when you after coming here. Well, I think the thing that Quentin <laughs> failed to uh, uh, really uh, talk about when he was telling the story about Hawthorne Stereo was that he just went back there this weekend by appointment and redid his home, whole home <laughs> yeah, sound system. Yeah, I was system. getting kitted out. I had to. We haven't heard the price. <laughs> we haven't heard the price tag of that. Out of the bag. <laughs> Dang. What's funny about that is I feel that everyone that experiences this room does that. Mm-hmm. Every person wow. I know that has been back here has hit me up saying they're going to go buy a hi-fi system for their house. Wow. And every DJ that's played wants a Bozak mixer now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> We're just a candy store back here. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, it's uh, it's helped me too. Like, uh, I, w- one of the stories I tell, like, uh, when, when new people come back to this room is that, like, I feel like I cheated myself from how I should have been listening to music. Mm. And being that I've got so many records and I've been DJing for a couple decades that I've been just doing it wrong because no one told me the right way or, or no, you know, maybe I just didn't, I didn't really do enough research. And I just like, I'm mad at myself for that, that now I know what I need to do. And I've unplugged every uh, speaker cable out of my home system. And I'm going to be right behind you in a couple of weeks, I think, at Hawthorne. <laughs> yeah. I just I just got to it first. Yeah, yeah. and you invited me too, and I, I just did. I, even, I, I had a I had a, a listening uh, room book there, and I'm like, B, come on, man. I gently declined. <laughs> wow. So my final question for each of you guys to answer is, what does Shibuya mean to you guys going forward? Um, I would say that it means. Uh, that's I mean that's really. That's a really big question and a really good question. I would say that for me, it means people connecting through music. Mm. And that's my hope, is that uh, it could be in this room, it could be when they leave this room. Um, I mean, that's kind of my biggest hope for it. I got one in that same vein. Uh, it To me, it represents 
me reconnecting or connecting deeper to my community mm-hmm. uh, through music uh, and people that I haven't met yet. Um, and, and, and that that's, I, I, I hope for, you know, self-fulfilling, like, uh, you know, I, I want to have a, a deeper connection to a lot of people that I wouldn't have normally been able to have, but through music. Awesome. Definitely. Yeah. I'll say uh, community, love and quality. Mm. For sure. There we go. Is that our t-shirt? Right there? <laughs> <laughs> I think that is. You got it figured out. <laughs> awesome. It's been amazing talking to you guys. Thank you for being nice enough to have me do this in your space. Yeah, Likewise, right back at you. Great having yeah. you. Of course. Yeah. So with that, you can find all the information online, I'm guessing, right? You guys have a website, social media. Yeah, everything is ShibuyaHiFi.com, and all of our socials are ShibuyaHiFi. Cool. There we go. It's been the NAS Podcast with... Supreme LaRock. And... Quentin. And... DJ Nostalgia B. <laughs> we yeah. did it.